for listening to the Bridge Church History Podcast. Uh, this is a two-part series because Jean-Marc had so much to, to say about Martin Luther and Martin Luther's worth, a two-part episode. Once you've listened, you'll probably agree. Uh, so this first episode will be a bit of uh, the background, so about Martin Luther's early life, uh, what brought him to become the influential man that he was, uh, sort of key acts that led him becoming a monk, the discovery of righteousness or justification by faith, why that's so important, uh, the 95 Thesis, and sort of what happened, what led to the break with the Roman Catholic Church. So hope you enjoy uh, part one. One on St. Nicholas. And well, here's two fun facts about today's figure. So he was ordered to be arrested and killed for his teaching. There's one fun fact. Not really a fun fact when you think about it. He also translated the New Testament from Greek to German in 11 weeks. Amateur. I could have done it in eight weeks. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Obviously, if you've read the title of the podcast, you already know who it is. Who is this uh, German or Greek translated in German who wanted who was wanted to be killed? What's his name? It's Martin Luther, or as we know, because he changed his name, Martin Luther. Martin Luther changed his name. Could you tell us a wee bit more about his life and what, like, why are we dedicating a whole podcast to Martin Luther? Well, since you asked so politely, <laughs> I shall. Uh, Martin Luther was was probably the famous catalyst of the Protestant Reformation. Huh. Uh, he was a highly intelligent man, a professor in theology, a former Augustinian monk, yeah. who blazed the way to break with Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, and he formed Protestantism from him. He was a shining light and also probably the battering ram that brought vital Christian truth to the fore. I'm mixing methods. I'm, yeah. I'm mixing methods. <laughs> Very good. So Protestantism, Bible in your own language, yep. congregational singing, yep. and for you and Matt, the marriage of the clergy. Yeah, he brought them say, all in. Yeah, <laughs> he did the important stuff. <laughs> when when was he born then? Well, well, he's supposedly born in 1483, but there's some uncertainty as that okay. because his mother didn't know and he didn't know. So it was either 1482, 1483, or 1484. So most books go for 1483. See, that's a comfort, isn't it, for all mums who can't remember when their kids' birthdays are. Just be like, I'm just like Martin Luther's mum. I know, my, my brother thought he was born on the 7th of February till he was about nine. <laughs> it's actually the 6th. Oh, poor lad. I know, I know. Uh, a f- fun fact, uh, yeah. he was born on November the 10th. Yep. Uh, same day as Erin. Okay. And also <laughs> Mikhail Kalashnikov, who invented the famous AK-47. He's the 10th of November. <laughs> this is a lot of fun uh, facts. Yeah, loads of fun facts. Um, he was born in Eisleben okay. to Margaret and Hans Luder. Uh, he was the second son. They had, uh, he had several brothers and sisters. Only one brother, though, made it to adulthood, and unfortunately, sadly, there. His father was a very successful copper miner, okay. and the family were quite well off. Yeah. Uh, Luther in later years talked about humble background, but he was they they were they were mended. They they did well. They yeah. did well. Um, he went to university. His father wanted him to be a lawyer. Is that how we knew that they were well off that he went to university? Well, no. Um, people could go to university if they could find sponsors or they were particularly brilliant. So it wasn't. A, uh, they found um, his house, his parents' house, and they'd done excavations in there, and they found in the ruins the kind of food that he had and how big the building was. It's much bigger than they thought. Okay. And they worked out from the diet 
that they must have been quite well off. quite well off and the kind of pots and things there yeah so it's archaeology once again saves yeah. the day <laughs> saves the day so so he went off to university to to become a lawyer yeah. he got his degree in Erfurt and then he got an MA as well and then on the way to university he went home uh, 2nd of July 1505 yeah. a big thunderstorm lightning here lightning there and he cries out help me saint anna i will become a monk mm. now, it was saint anna yeah. because she was the patron saint of miners okay but I she start. was also supposedly the mother of mary okay so, so he was asking jesus's grandmother to intercede for him so he's bound to be helped yes that's very interesting isn't it because yes i feel there's a lot more to find out about his journey if he's crying out to saint anna so obviously life massively changed what was it what were his famous words uh oh, his farewell supper oh right. i was gonna say help say dana i will become yeah. a monk well, well he he did this he took it as a vow yeah. he wasn't killed obviously yeah and within 12 days he joined the augustinian monastery so oh. on the 17th of july he joined the monastery his father was livid <laughs> but he went there yeah. and he thought his, his world and his life had ended yeah and his words as he went in in his farewell supper was this day you see me and then not ever again. But yeah, anyone who goes into the ministry, they think their life is over. Isn't that the case? <laughs> uh, I'm not seeing anything yeah, at all. Yeah, keep it quiet. I'm not um, seeing anything. So obviously, there's the hand of the Lord there. Even though he was crying out to Anna, the Lord had used that storm to draw him into the ministry. Mm. So there's obviously the hand of God throughout Luther's life, I'm sure. Mm. Yes, you can you can see God's providence working through Luther's life, and and it's 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 so encouraging for us that I think it was Thomas Watson, mm. I don't know Puritan, said that our, our prayers, even our repentance, needs repenting of. Yeah, and and his prayer, even though it was so dodgy, uh, the Lord used it and answered in such a wonderful way. Uh, in the monastery in Erfurt, because he was a, a trainee monk. He had access to the Bible, okay. which he'd never had before. Wow. It was a banned book. And so he read it. You just take that for granted, don't you? Like, but keep going, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. So so he, he went through it and he read it and he wanted answers. But all he did was get more and more discouraged about himself. Mm. He became more aware of his sins and his guilt and his inability to live as he should. Mm. And he became a, sort of like a, a negative I don't know what the word would be, depressed, introspective person. Yeah. Uh, he later commented saying that I lost touch with Christ, the saviour and comforter and made of him the jailer and hangman of my poor soul. Oh dear. He was in spiritual despair for, yeah. for ages. And of course, there you were assigned somebody to confess. Yeah. And his confessor was uh, Johann von Staupitz. Again, you could see the Lord yeah. in there. Staupitz was was an intellectual he was wise mm. and he listened to Luther and Luther would confess and then he'd confess and then he confess he'd be there about four or five hours yes I know the story apparently he uh, told him to go away and do something worthy of confessing yes yes, yes. <laughs> I can I can picture Matt doing that <laughs> what confessing or going away and doing something worthy of confessing telling someone go and do something worthy of confessing. oh right yes yes <laughs> I don't think he would. No, he wouldn't. He I wouldn't. Think, yes, I'm not saying anything at all. <laughs> yeah, so so he he went and and in the words of one, he said, "Why are you coming and bringing all these peccadillos, these tiny little knacks to me? Stop bringing them to me." Yeah. Uh, but he saw God as 
as, as heavenly and holy, but remote and angry. Yeah. And he saw Christ as inaccessible. Mm. Uh, von Staupitz, however, saw that Luther was an intelligent lad yeah. and wanted to encourage him and believed that through academic study and giving him something to do, yeah. he'd stop being so negative. Yes. And so he, he sent him off to become a, a lecturer in Wittenberg, which meant he had to get a degree again. So he wow. got his second degree then in, in 1508 in uh, biblical studies. And then he did another degree the following year yeah. on the works of uh, the sentences of, of Peter Lombard. Okay. Very strange. So he had three degrees. Good grief. That's I mean, plenty. he wasn't even a singer. <laughs> so I very, put that one in there very good. for the older members of the audience. Matt, you got that. Very good. So uh, what happened whenever he was there? So chair of theology, he succeeded his, his mentor. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Stoutbitz retired. Yeah. Uh, he took over. He, he became a PhD, got a doctorate in theology. He's obviously extremely intelligent. Yeah, very bright. Very, very intelligent. And and then he started lecturing on the books of the Bible. Yeah. So he was again open to the word and reading. He mm -hmm. he started lecturing through Psalms. Yeah. And he started getting an inkling of forgiveness and the idea of forgiveness. And of course, when he got to the book of Romans, he made his discovery then in Romans chapter one yeah. that the righteousness of God is revealed. And this is what he wrote in a commentary. Um, human teaching reveals the righteousness of men. They teach who is righteous and how a man can be and become righteous before himself and his fellow men. But only the gospel reveals the righteousness of God by that faith alone by which one believes the word of God. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieves shall be condemned. For the righteousness of God is the cause of salvation. Here too the righteousness of God must not be understood as that righteousness by which he is righteous in himself, but as that righteousness by which we are made righteous by him. You mm. see, because he'd been trained in law, yeah. he, he looked at this in legal terms and he could see that the scriptures did the same. Yes. And then he, he said, therefore, blessed Augustine writes in the 16th chapter of his book, the righteousness of God is that righteousness which he imparts in order to make men righteous. Mm. So he goes to Augustine and he sees that this righteousness is given and yes. not a righteousness we earn. It's an alien righteousness, isn't that how he describes it? It's not something that is our own, it's of God. But would it be fair? Would it be fair that this was a rediscovery, not a discovery? So he had found something that was lost. Because obviously the church before mm. before this time, the Catholic Church had just, I suppose, lost this mm. truth. Would that be fair to say? Well these truths were were there yeah you had you had before him you had Wycliffe yeah the law lads you had John uh, Huss yeah uh, so you had Eck and people there were people before that had mm. this truth but it never really I suppose I suppose Luther was like a pebble that went into the pond and the ripples went right out yes they were good. pebbles on the edges yeah and they didn't ripple as far so so the, the, I think the difference here was that this was the time that the Reformation was to really take root yes. and expand and grow. Um, yes. I think that was the the big thing. It was a obviously for him, it was a discovery. Yeah. But it was it was in the scriptures. I, I yeah. it's the same with us. Yeah. We, we find something when we're converted. Yeah. We realize certain truths, <laughs> and they've always been there. Yeah. It's yeah. just that we're blind and his eyes have been opened. Yeah. That that was brilliant. That was really helpful, Jean Marc. So, obviously, major discovery for him. Praise the Lord. We stand on his shoulders. How important was it to him? How did it affect 
his life, his theology. Well, it's it's really odd. It it affected him personally. Yeah. That he realised that he was now right with God. Yeah. And he no longer had to strive. He no longer had the doubts and 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 feelings of guilt and despair because he knew that the Lord had changed him and and given him a righteousness hmm. which couldn't be taken away. Yeah. And it was a gift. And so he was so so happy and encouraged in himself. So. As a person, he changed massively inwardly, and it was gradually then. I suppose you know when the Lord gives the illustration of of the leaven, and it gradually goes through. Works the through the whole do, yeah. This is what you see in his life. Mm. He's very cautious about reform. Yeah, he's very cautious about change, because it's a gradual yeah. thing, and other people are jumping forward, and and things are happening, and he has to react, and he goes further than he would have normally. Yeah, but. It, it's gradually working through him because he was, I suppose, with a small c, he was a conservative person. Yes. He never wanted to change anything. He was happy with this discovery. Yeah. And he just stayed where he was in Wittenberg lecturing as he was. He, he'd made the discovery of this great exchange and he changed his name. He, he changed his name and he oh, started really? writing under the name Martinez Eleutheros, okay. which is after the Greek Eleutheros, which means to be free. Interesting. So, so he called himself Michael, the, uh, Michael Martin the Free. And we have a fun fact. Oh, another one. Another fun fact. Martin Luther King yeah. wasn't originally called Martin Luther King. Okay. He was named after his father, Martin Luther yeah. King. So he was Martin Luther King Jr. But his father originally was called Michael King. And so Michael King, his son, was Michael King Jr. Okay. But the father was a minister, yeah. a Baptist minister. He went to Germany in the 30s, yeah. and he was so impressed with what he learned about Luther that he wanted to change his name. No way. And so he changed his name to yeah. Martin Martin Luther and yeah. then kept the king. Yeah. And his son, who was nine, also had his name changed Very from Michael, Chin, Michael King to Martin Luther King Jr. Very good. Because of this. So, so the name has changed, but... Martin Luther changed his name from Luda to Luther because Luda was a sort of rude, a sort of loose woman sort of. Oh, okay. And he didn't want that name because he knew that people would make fun of it, yeah. especially with the Reformation. So he changed it to, to Luther. Very clever. So uh, obviously total transformation, self-doubt, depression, gone. Hmm. So why is this justification by faith so important, so life-changing? Hmm. But Luther, Luther had been bound, mm. sort of in chains to his sin and to the church. Yeah. He, he couldn't get out of his sin. And the more he tried, the more he felt himself being lost. Mm. So I suppose it, you, you've, got, you've, got the, you've got so many illustrations there, like he, he's being sucked down in quicksand yeah. and his sins are pulling him down and he's changed and he's dead and he's lost and the church won't help him. And all they're doing is heaping more things on him. And then suddenly he realizes that his sins are no longer his, yeah. that they've been taken away because of Jesus Christ. And and his books emphasize the change, the great exchange, mm. that the garments of sin have been taken away from him and he's been given the robes of righteousness. So Zechariah 3 and Isaiah 61.10, the robe of righteousness, he kept emphasizing it. Yeah. He kept emphasizing marriage. Hmm. Um, before he was married, he kept emphasizing this is a, a marriage covenant yes. where Christ is our 
bridegroom and he's taken us in our sins mm. and everything he has is ours yeah and we have a new title we have a new rights we have a new home yeah. and christ takes our sin and our wickedness to himself and all our debts he takes and he pays for so the, the catholic system that he was in said that your righteousness was pushed into you is infused in you god pushed righteousness into you through your works hmm. so you became righteous in and of yourself yeah. which you could lose but here he discovered that this righteousness was a forensic one that came from outside yeah. that could never be taken away because it was a gift of god and that gave him so much freedom freedom it was a legal declaration and, and he he kept emphasizing i think that the big emphasis he had was that you were simul justus et peccator, which meant you were simultaneously justified before God yeah. and yet still a sinner. Yes, very helpful. So in, in one sense, if 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 you if you're looked upon from from one point of view, you're sinful. Yes. We, we've got no righteousness, we, we've got nothing to commend us with God, and we run away from God and we're sinful. But but God looks at us not in that light. But he looks at us through Christ, who is our righteousness. Yes, which is part of what Matt is talking about this Sunday in Hebrews 10, about mm. how we're made holy and being made holy mm. at the same time, which is exactly what you've talked about mm. there. It, it's really interesting because after Romans, he then started lecturing through Hebrews. Oh, really? So the, 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 the Catholic Church would, would have been fine on who, the person of Christ, but then when it starts talking about the work of Christ, the high priest, the sacrifices, yes. the tabernacle. It's a lovely word, isn't it? The yeah. tabernacle. Yeah. All that there, they wouldn't have a clue. No. And and he was seeing it. And it it, it, it this double imputation yeah. really changed him. Yeah. Because obviously, which is what we're about to talk about, the Catholic system had their problems with indulgences, sort of almost buying the, mm. your way into heaven. So could you tell us a bit more? about how justification by faith affected his life mm. well again it's, it's the hand of god he was happy lecturing yeah he was he knew he was saved and he just carried on yeah as he was gradually growing and reading and he, he he had a lovely life so to speak reading the scriptures explaining it to people yeah. and and then you had this problem you had the pope and he, he built saint <laughs> Peter's. Sorry, that's just as in as a Northern Irish person. That just made me laugh so much. Keep going. Sorry. So you had the Pope who who built the Basilica in Rome, and to pay for the Basilica in Rome, he wasn't going to pay for it. So he made each of the archbishops and and the people around pay their quota, and one Albrecht of Brandenburg, the Archbishop of Mainz, had to pay thousands, and he didn't have the money. Yeah. So he thought, what can I do? And he said, I know there's a guy. Who goes around preaching about indulgences yeah if i can hire him he can get the money in and i'll pay so he asked the pope permission can i do that and he said yeah 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 said leo go get him so so john tetzel was brought in so this dominican friar went around preaching that if you gave money that as soon as you gave money that the souls of your dearly departed lost ones would be freed from purgatory it's so wicked isn't it like, oh, oh so yes. wicked. It's, it's it's sort of a little bit of truth which they turned yeah because you know when when we die we don't immediately get changed and have resurrection bodies mm. so we're technically in a holding place yeah which is heaven so we're, we're in heaven with a righteous 
uh, made just. So, so the righteous shall live by faith and we're immediately in the presence of the Lord when we die. Yeah. But of course the Catholics had lost this. Yeah. And so they believed that when you died, you were in a place because you still had sins. Yeah. Because you hadn't confessed them all. So you had to have your sins burned off you in this place called purgatory. And they said, well, if, if you pay money to the Pope, then you go. Now, Luther, although he wasn't quite there, he, he knew there was something wrong here. Yeah. He knew there was something wrong. And so he, he basically, he wrote again, 95 reasons why it's wrong. Yeah. His 95 thesis. And then he thought he'd send it to this guy, Albrecht of Brandenburg, the Archbishop of Mainz. So yeah. he wrote a letter to him on the 31st of October. Yes. Sent it off, 1517. Yeah. With his 95 thesis saying, look, this is all wrong. Have a look at it. What do you think? Can you stop Tetzel? Yes. Wasn't that the same day that he nailed those theses to the door? Or is that an uh, urban legend that he nailed it to the door? Again, there's, there's sort of uncertainty with that. Um, Melanchthon, who gives a lot of information, a long time afterwards said that he nailed it to the, the door. Yeah. Though there doesn't seem to be that much evidence of it. But lots of people say yes. And some historians say no. Okay. The, th the thing was that when he did nail it, this was a, a notice board, yeah. he wanted an academic disputation because all these things were in Latin yes. and the common people spoke German. Okay. So he, he was aiming for the academics to say, let's talk about this yeah. and sort it out academically. I don't want to cause major waves with the people. Yeah. I want to talk about it with the people with academic things. So, so that's what he did. It, it went on the door or it didn't go on the door, but yeah. the letter... <laughs> That's yeah. the key thing. The letter went to this yeah. man and he wasn't happy. So really? he didn't want anything to do with it. So he sent it to the Pope. <laughs> so, oh. so he sent it to the Pope and the Pope didn't like it. And so he wanted to deal with it and he wanted something sorted. So this, this purgatory issue now was the big thing that Martin Luther was starting to go for. Yes. So he now started thinking about what was purgatory because he had accepted it. Yeah. And he didn't say anything. It's really interesting. The 95 Thesis. Some of the some of the things, yeah, I've got yeah. here. Yeah, uh, not the original, yeah. not the original. But he's got some interesting ones here. He says here, why is it that the Pope, who has got more wealth than the richest of the richest men, why doesn't he build the Basilica of Saint Peter's with his own money? Why does he ask poor people for money? That's a good point. And then the next point, then he says, why doesn't the Pope, who is supposed to be kind, forgive people their sins? without them giving him money? Or what greater blessing could come to the church than if the Pope were to do a hundred times a day what he now does once and bestow on every believer these remissions and participation? So it's, it's, re it's, really, yeah. quite, it's really quite interesting there. So he's saying, well, you know, really, why are you making money out of something you could do for free? Yes, it's interesting as well, because maybe, maybe it's in my head, maybe it's in the listeners' heads, we think of Luther as being very, as you say, battering ram, confrontational, but he was happy doing what he was doing. But the Lord almost pushed him out of his comfort zone to mm. use his gifts and abilities to confront this wickedness, which mm. is, is a lesson for us. Mm. Like, even if you're happy, comfortable, yeah. the Lord might push you out of your happy, comfortable spot. Yeah, so, it's, it's really funny yeah. because he, he wasn't expecting this to happen. Yeah. And suddenly 
people were talking about indulgences. Yeah. And there was a big problem. And he thought, well, I didn't mean it to get published. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's rough. Yeah. Um, it's in Latin. I need to explain myself because these are a bit rough things. They, they're just thoughts. Yeah. So, so he rewrote and he, he called, it's called the Heidelberg Disputation. Yeah. He wrote 40 points <laughs> about it. And Staupitz, his, his, his boss, yeah. said, look, I want you to focus on the big things. It's not so much indulgences. Yeah. It's it's about sin. It's about free will, and it's about grace. Yeah. That's what you need to focus on. Major on the majors, which is really a, a, an excellent, yeah. excellent advice. And and of these, the eighteenth of these uh, disputations were: um, it is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. Mm. Number twenty-five: he is not righteous who does much. But he who, without work, believes much in Christ. Number 36, the law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. Honestly, you can see there's a huge change, a huge change there. This was was 1518, just a year after. You know, 28 theological and and 12 philosophical things in this. And it's a massive, massive change. So, so the, the, the Pope sends a man down and the Cardinal tells him to, to recant. <laughs> he, he doesn't. He, he says only, you know, I, I, I'll recant if you can prove that um, I got it wrong logically yeah. or from scripture. And they couldn't. So he continued to lecture. And, and Leo X then issued a bull. Uh, in 1520 saying that uh, he's going to threaten him with excommunication. And then Luther starts becoming the Luther we know. Yeah. He, he takes the bull and on the 10th of October, he looks at it. And then 10th of December, he burns it publicly. So um, just for our listeners' sake, is there a big cow with horns that he's burning or what is a bull? A, a bull is sort of like a, um, a sort of Roman decree or statement. Okay, that's helpful. It's officially coming from the Pope. I see. Because some people might have thought about a big guy getting burnt. Well, well it's interesting because when people say you're talking rubbish, they say you're talking a load of bull. That's true. And it, it comes from, from the that. fact that Luther didn't pay attention to it. He burnt it. So, <laughs> that is really interesting. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? <laughs> that's really interesting. I just made that fact up, but it's probably true. <laughs> no. Dave won't know. I think I'll slip that past. <laughs> I, also, I believe you. I'm no, it probably is. It probably is. I'll look it up afterwards. Okay, so what happened next? Well, he's January 1521, uh, Luther's excommunicated. Uh, in March, the Emperor Charles V, now all the big guns are coming out. Yeah. They summon him to Worms. It's not Worms, Worms it's Worms. Yep. Uh, to defend himself. This is a place, not, not little creature things. He wanted to debate, so he prepared himself. He had a, a truck full of books. <laughs> to go with him Seriously. to help him he had a library uh, he, had, he had people with him Staupitz went with him uh, McCantham and various people they all went with him to support him and when he got there they basically said to him are these your books yeah right are you going to recant or not oh <laughs> that wasn't what he was expecting yeah so he, it, it really it really threw him yeah he, he really didn't know what what to do so so he said okay hang on I'm going to have to make a statement here but they're not giving me any room. Yeah. So he asked for a night. So some historians say, oh, he's doubtful, he's scared and stuff. But he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't expecting this. He was expecting yeah. a disputation, a, a discussion, a debate. Yeah. There wasn't any. It was recant, repent or perish. So he went that night and then he planned what he was going to say. Yeah. 
and then again he, he said a lot of things and the, the famous thing that he said was basically I will not recant here I stand I can do no other mm. again historians say well we're not sure if he actually said that or not yeah. but we know that the emphasis was there yeah. and he didn't so May the 8th then he was placed in an imperial ban and he was condemned now so he could be taken and killed mm. at any time so he was sort of fake kidnapped okay by his friends and put in Wartburg Castle. The boys helping him out. So he was there. The 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 king, uh, Prince, was he Prince um, Philip of Hesse? I think it was. I think it's Philip of Hesse. Okay. It's one of the Hesse people. Yeah. Him, the brother. He took him and put him in the castle. And he was he was there, and he was he was safe. But he was in a castle, and he was thinking, "What am I going to do?" And he got a bit depressed because he wasn't sure what to do, and he started sending letters to his friends saying he had bad stomach, and he described his bowel movements in great detail, which is very strange. That's a very strange thing to do. Strange man. So he wasn't, he wasn't happy. He was there, but he translated the new Testament in 13 weeks. 13 weeks. I got that wrong at the start. I said 11. That's because you could do it in 11. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that was it. That's what it was. Yeah. And then the whole Bible then came out then, uh, in 1534 in easy to read German because he wanted the people to read. Pause. There we are then. I sound very Welsh there. That is the end of part one. In part two, you will find out sort of about Martin Luther's personality, his uh, relationship with his wife, why he was such an important figure, why he gets a two-part episode, sort of his difficult relationship that he had with other Christians. The I suppose it's it stops us from viewing him with rose-tinted glasses because we see that he is a sinner as well. We'll also find out about. Uh, lessons we can learn from his life both positively and negatively we'll learn about his book uh, the bondage of the will uh, his preaching and as well places you could go to find out more about martin luther so stay tuned and you will hear that next